When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Plant School. Before I introduce who we have on the podcast today, I want to remind everyone that this is episode 98. In two weeks, I'm going to be doing my 100th episode giveaway. And literally all you have to do to enter is share the podcast with someone. It can be a text to someone you know. Also, I don't think I've mentioned this, but if you have not won a giveaway before, you are welcome to re-enter again. You can share it with someone new and you can re-enter. That is totally fine to do. Just share it with someone. Message me on Instagram at Tenny Plants, T-E-N-N-E-Y, or message me on Gmail at tennyplants at gmail.com, and you will be entered in to possibly win free plants as well as a free plant-related t-shirt from my merch store. It's going to be lots of fun, so go ahead and share this podcast with someone. Let me know that you've done so, and I will let you know that you are entered into the giveaway that will be announced on the 100th episode, so in two weeks. And moving on, today I am so excited to have this person on. Ethan Lewis is a small business owner of his own plant shop, and he has a lot of knowledge of the ins and outs of propagation, which, while I'm on this topic, he has his whole shop that he set up. It's ghostleaf.xyz, and he even gave a code for us The code is plant school for 20% off your first order. He's going to shout that out, but I just wanted to do it before we go into the episode so that you guys can have that in your brain because it's a really sweet deal and it's a really great way to support Ethan and his small business. Going back to my introduction of Ethan and his knowledge in propagation, we talk a lot about how to be better at it, mistakes to avoid, things like that, and then also just some fun things that I've never really dove into before, such as kind of exploring the world of tissue culture and how that all works. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode and today's interview with Ethan Lewis. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome everyone to Plant School. I'm really excited for today's episode. We have with us here Ethan Lewis and Ethan, I think, has a lot more experience than I do in propagation. I know he does. He's told me kind of just like a sampling of what he does. And it's much more than I've ever gotten into. So I'm really excited to learn from him and to have you guys as listeners learn from him as well. But Ethan, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of this little side business you have going on of propagating plants from your own personal plant collection. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. So I am Ethan Lewis. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota with my wife and kids. 
and um, been into houseplants for probably about five years now, I think, and have always been fascinated by things that grow and that really kind of took off about five years ago and ended up with a house full of plants and probably more than I really needed. And so (laughs) found myself in a position where I thought, you know, I could probably sell some of these propagations and make a little bit of extra money and afford to buy some new plants and also get rid of some of the old ones that weren't bringing me joy anymore. So so that brings me to my business, which is Ghost Leaf Greenery. And we uh, we sell primarily aeroids and hoyas and other houseplants as well. But those are the those are the big things that we sell. And you can find us on ghostleaf.xyz on the World Wide Web. And I also spend a lot of time on Reddit and and you can find me there. My username is you, Ghost Leaf Greenery. So yeah, so that's a little bit about us. And for your listeners, I also set up a discount code so you can get 20% off your order, your first order with us at ghostleaf.xyz by using promo code PLANTSCHOOL. Sweet. That's so nice of you to do that. So if you guys are interested in looking at a store, which I highly recommend, go ahead and go over there and use that discount code. That's such a generous deal. And I love to ask people who come onto the podcast just for fun. What is your favorite plant? And it can be like your current favorite. Cause I know it changes for us. So what's your current favorite plant? I think my current favorite is probably my philodendron bilitae. I just, I, there's something about it that's so special. It grows so fast. It, you know, they're, they're kind of fun because they're not variegated. The one that I have isn't variegated. So it's nothing like crazy wild. You'll find variegated bilitae out there and they're really ridiculously expensive because <laughs> they're so rare. This one's just a regular one, but it, it, because it's not variegated, it grows faster. And um, I feel like I keep cutting it and it keeps growing new leaves. It just, I don't know, it's wild. It's, it's a fun, fun plant. It's out of control. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like philodendrons, you can never go wrong with them. They're oh, yeah. Like a- a great family of plants. I agree. So getting into kind of the meat of this episode, what is your experience with propagating plants? Obviously you have your shop and you are actively propagating from plants all the time. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think that the first plant I probably propagated and one that I recommend that a lot of people start out with if you are looking to get into propagation is the golden pothos. And the reason for that is it's so easy to propagate and it's really fun to propagate and it's a beautiful plant. And I think I probably I probably propagated it first when I was in my teens, you know, 16, 17, something like that. And I was just kind of amazed by, wow, you know, you could take this plant and create a whole other plant out of it without like any effort. And, and it's amazing what the plants are capable of. So lately I have been propagating all sorts of things, a lot of Hoyas, a lot of other aeroids, philodendrons and other aeroids, Monstera. And I also have gotten into propagating alocasias from corm or bulb. So that has been kind of an enjoyable experience for me, but propagating is fun because there are many different techniques and methods of propagating and I'm sure we'll get into all of them, but it's, it's like a whole, it's a whole world of, of exciting things. I don't know. So for someone who's like 
first getting into it, like what would be some basic advice you would offer to them? So you mentioned starting maybe with a golden pothos if you've never done it before. And I agree. That's like one to kind of boost your confidence. It's so easy to do. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is include the node, which is that little bumpy part and at least a few leaves and you're good to go. But yeah, what what's some advice you might give to a beginner in propagation? Yeah, when you're starting out with something like a golden pothos, so regardless of what, what you're starting out with, I, I recommend, this is going to sound kind of silly, but I recommend Googling it because mm-hmm. propagation varies so much according to species. Like some species you can propagate with a stem cutting with a node, like you mentioned. Other species you can propagate just via a leaf, like some succulents can be propagated just by a leaf. Other ones are root. Uh, you need part of the root to propagate it and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of different things. Just make sure that you're Googling it before you make any cuts on your plant because you want to make sure that your propagation is successful from the get-go. And from there, if you're doing something like a pothos, for example, I would recommend doing it in water. Water propagation is really the easiest thing. So you take your you take your stem and you cut it where you where you get a, a section of node and then at least one, two, three leaves. Not too many more than that. You don't want a ton of leaves on your cutting, but you want a, a few leaves and then throw that in water so that the node is submerged in the water and then just wait. And it's just a question of waiting. And you want to keep them in, and this is true for pretty much any propagation, you want to keep it in a bright space. And one of the common mistakes that I see people make is not giving their propagations enough light. So make sure that it's bright and you're able to get the photosynthesis going and get some roots going in that plant. And then another thing is with golden pothos, you'll probably see, or, or a lot of different pothos, you'll, you'll see growth pretty quickly. It could be as soon as a week or maybe even less, but other species, it can take a long time. It can take weeks or sometimes even months to see progress. So common advice I give people is, you know, don't give up, have a lot of patience because it takes time for these, for these roots to form and then for the, for the new growth to form. Yeah. I have two questions. One with the lighting, do you ever suggest direct sunlight or is this just like near the window, but not in full direct sun? I think that's, that's kind of a tough question because direct sun varies a lot depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. And where I am in Minnesota is pretty far North. And so here direct sunlight doesn't really matter. I can give everything in my collection direct sunlight and it won't affect it too much. But if you're in Florida or Texas or another part of the world that's closer to the equator, then direct sun could be could be harmful. So I guess my answer to that question is keep it in bright, indirect light, or you can use grow lights too. I've done most of my propagation under grow lights as well, and that works great. Okay, that's good to know. My second question is, at what point do you know like when to give up on a propagation? Is Has there ever <laughs> been a case where you're like, Okay, this is done. There's nothing coming of this. I my personal philosophy is never give up. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's completely falling apart and rotting, then you know, mm-hmm. give it some time, keep giving it time. I having said that, I have just given up on some things that I just I look at it, it maybe the leaf completely wilts and or falls off or something like that and you just think, you know, Eh, I just think I'm not going to wait for it anymore. So it's it's really as long as you want to wait. But I would encourage people to have as much patience as they can, because I've seen some amazing things turn around. You know, even if that leaf does wilt, sometimes it still will push out new growth if you're just patient and give it time. 
Okay. That reminds me, I had, I tried to propagate an umbrella tree Mm. and I like did it at a landscaping event I went to for my major in college. And anyways, we did it wrong. Well, I was just listening to the instructor and I think I waited for like a year and a half before I Googled it and was like, why is (laughs) nothing happening? The leaves looked great and they had produced roots, but there was no node or a way for it to like produce new growth. So I was literally just growing these two leaves stuck in soil. But yeah, I think Google can help if maybe you're just at a point that I was of what is going on here. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And that's, that's, you know, back to my other point, like make sure Make sure that you're you're checking before you before you make the cut and the cut on your plant. Make sure you're checking to see what is required for that specific species to propagate it, because a lot of times you do need a node, which is just yeah. Again, like the node is just that place essentially where the stem meets the petiole of the leaf. Yeah, I feel like the node is super easy to see on things like apothos or uh, philodendrons, even monsteras. I feel like you can really easily yeah. see those. So if you are a beginner, that's a great one to start with, or all three of those are great ones to start with. And kind of going into what you were saying of Googling before, like, don't make that mistake to not go into it without any knowledge. Are there any other mistakes off the top of your head from your experience to be avoiding when you are trying to propagate a plant? Yes. Now we talked about water propagation a little bit. I'm going to change gears and talk about other types of propagating. You can propagate in things like sphagnum moss or perlite. There are other materials that you can use to propagate in. And when you're dealing with those, you have to worry about how much water do you give it. And a lot of times I'll see people give it either too much water or not enough water, especially with sphagnum moss. People tend to get sphagnum moss too wet It'll get like dripping wet and then you'll stick your propagation in there and it'll end up rotting. And what you really want is you want to try to wring out the sphagnum moss so it's just sort of damp and then stick your propagation in there. And it doesn't, you don't need much water with, with something like sphagnum moss. And the same, similar thing with perlite. If you're propagating using perlite or, or any other material, just be cognizant of how much water you're using. Other common issues I see already talked about people not having enough patience, expecting instant results that make sure that you have some patience and that you're giving time for the plant to grow. One thing that is kind of a contentious issue among the houseplant community, I'll say, is whether or not you need to, if you're doing a water propagation, do you need to change the water? And I kind of fall in the camp where I'm, I'm lazy. Some people say, okay, some people say you need to change the water every week. You need to refresh the water, pour out the old water, put fresh water in. And that if you don't do that, there won't be enough oxygen for the plant, for the newly forming roots. I haven't experienced that myself. I've noticed that I'll leave things in water for weeks and I won't change it and it's just fine. So I guess kind of it's up to your listeners' better judgment on how they want to approach that. But but I would I would say there's no harm in changing the water out regularly, especially if you notice it become dirty or cloudy. Sometimes you'll notice there'll be like a bacterial growth like a cloudy kind of bacterial growth around the plant, that's often a good time to change the water. And I will do it if, if I notice that. But yeah, so that's that's one issue is changing the water and you can decide you know, where you fall on that. Let's see, other issues. We already talked about using a prop method that doesn't work with the species. Those are kind of the big ones. I kind of err with you on the side of 
being a lazy plant parent on not changing my water. I just have never found that it really affected them. But yeah, definitely if I see it cloudy or it's like discolored, I've even had like, it's like the white fuzzy mold growing on top. I'm like, oh yeah, I should, I should clean that out, change it. But yeah, I've never really, you don't need to be changing it like every day or anything. It's mostly just a waiting game. Yeah, I think that's true. And as far as like the oxygen debate, you know, people say, well, there's oxygen, you need free oxygen in the water in order to supply the plant with oxygen. I, from what I've read, it gets enough oxygen just based off of the surface area, uh, the surface mm-hmm. of the water. There's enough there for gas exchange to take place and, and the plant to get oxygen. Now, I am not a chemist or anything, so I'm not going to comment on that, but I kind of take solace in that at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh my goodness, hello. It's me doing an ad for my own podcast but I don't know if you guys know this but this podcast the plant school podcast is put on by me myself and I no one is paying me to do this I do it in my free time and I greatly appreciate any support that you can give to keep this podcast going so there are three ways that you can support this podcast number one you can share it with a friend and if you do so you actually enter into my giveaway all you have to do is message me on Instagram at Tinny Plants and let me know that you shared it and I will enter you in to win some really cool plant school merch for free. Secondly, you can buy plant school merch on your own. We have some really cool plant related shirts and stickers as well as plant school podcast specific shirts and stickers. The link to my merch store can be found in the show notes of every single episode. And third option that you can do to support this podcast is to become a supporter. There is a link at the very bottom of the details of every episode of my podcast and you can click that link to support the podcast and set up a monthly donation. It can be as low as $1 a month or it can be, you know, as high as you want. I won't tell you what to do. Any support that you can give is greatly appreciated. It allows me to spend my free time researching for you and helping you learn more about the plant world in a really fun and digestible way. I love doing this podcast and I would really love your guys' help in sustaining it so that I can keep going with it for the long haul. Thank you. So when it comes to like different ways to propagate in water or in sphagnum moss or perlite, things like that, do you have a preference? I know you mentioned that water is really great. Like for your business, when you are propagating plants to be selling, what do you generally use? Well, I'll be honest. I am always experimenting. So I have changed it up and I have definitely have favorites depending on species. For example, one of my favorite things to propagate Hoyas in is actually fluval stratum, which is a an aquarium substrate. It's a volcanic soil that's collected out of these volcanic range in Japan. 
and then it's compressed into these pellets, these little black pellets, and people call it plant caviar because it kind of looks like caviar. <laughs> and it's just amazing because it's very nutritionally rich. And so the plants tend to root in it very quickly, but it works great for Hoyas. It doesn't necessarily work for everything. So you'll, you'll find, you'll develop sort of little favorites for each species. For philodendrons, for example, I often will do a mix of half perlite, half sphagnum. And I've found that that really works well because just sphagnum on its own, sometimes I've had things rot. If I just use sphagnum, it's so, it holds on to so much moisture. Sphagnum moss holds on to 18 times its weight in water, which I just think is ridiculous. Wow. And that much water can sometimes just cause a philodendron to rot. So if you mix it with half sphagnum, the sphagnum, or I'm sorry, with half perlite, the perlite will provide sort of air pockets in there that will help keep it from rotting. And so I've found that to be very successful. I feel like anytime I've gone to a rare plant shop, generally I see the sphagnum moss with the perlite or with LECA even. I feel like yeah. a lot of people tend to prefer that when they are, I don't know, doing it on a larger scale. Yeah. And LECA is great too. I mean, LECA is another great option. I've used LECA on its own to propagate Hoyas as well. And it works really surprisingly well. You would think there's so much airspace in there, you would think it wouldn't work, but it actually mm-hmm. seems to really encourage these big, fuzzy, thick roots. So the the Hoyas seem to love it. And LECA is great to mix in as well, like you said, like mix in with sphagnum or, or other propagation media. Mm-hmm. And one thing I kind of want to talk about with you, you mentioned that you are starting to dabble into this. And it's tissue culture propagation. I guess when you do it in your home, it's called kitchen culture. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't gotten to the point where I'm doing my own tissue culture myself. Uh It's kind of one of my plant goals. But I have been, I have been taking tissue culture plants and growing them, taking them out of, taking them out of flasks and growing them. So let's talk about tissue culture a little bit. Yeah. Please, I want to know what this entails because I have no experience in this. So tissue culture is a method of propagation, and it's by far the most common method of propagation, actually, uh, for commercial nurseries. If you go to a plant store, about 80% of the plants there were tissue culture grown. So it's very common. And most people, if they are into houseplants and they own houseplants, they probably have several tissue culture plants without even realizing it. But basically what it is, is they take a small piece of a plant, whether it be a very small stem cutting or a piece of the root, it can vary depending on the species and depending on the, what they call the protocol that they follow. They take that and then they suspend it in a solution of agar. And agar is a seaweed extract, kind of a gel-like solution. It's what you Um, find in a Petri dish, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. The same stuff. And they infuse the agar with this sort of nutrient-rich solution, and it's full of growth hormones and nutrients, all the, everything that the plant will need to grow. And this is all done, by the way, in an extreme sterile condition. So this is like very clean room, everything like that, which is one of, the, one of the reasons it's hard to do at home, because you need to maintain a really sterile environment in order to do this. So they take this small piece of the plant, they suspend it in the agar inside a 
what they call a flask, which can either be, you know, like a jar. Sometimes it's a jar. Sometimes it's literally just like a plastic baggie that they seal shut. And then they stick it in like a micro greenhouse environment, which is basically like bright lights and carefully climate controlled environment. And it sits there and it will grow. This tiny piece of the plant will shoot out these little plantlets and often it'll be like 10, 15 different plants, sometimes 20, depending on the protocol that they're following. Multiple plants that grow out of this one little piece and they grow really fast and they're exact clones of the parent plant. So it's, so it's really a method of cloning plants. You mentioned that we as plant owners may have tissue culture plants in our homes. What are like some examples of those that they are doing this commercially for? All, all sorts of plants, uh, monsteras, philodendrons. The, the things that, the plants that are harder to do it with are variegated plants. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the more expensive, rare variegated plants are difficult to tissue culture because they can't replicate the variegation in the same way. It won't appear the same way in the, in the child plant as it was in the parent plant. But the, even those, there are some that there are, they are starting to develop protocols for doing tissue culture of, for an example of that would be like a Monstera Thai constellation, which oh. traditionally has been a really expensive plant. Yeah. They are now finding ways to mass produce it using tissue culture. So prices are actually starting to go down a little bit on Thai constellations, which I think is awesome. Yeah. So, oh, I would love to have one. I just have yeah. never had the heart to pay that much that they're asking <laughs> for right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous, some of the plant prices. But but the, that's the beauty of tissue culture is it's really bringing a lot, of, a lot of plants that you might not otherwise be able to afford. It's increasing the supply of those plants and bringing them, bringing the prices down so that they're more affordable for everybody. So when you do, like, if you wanted to get into the kitchen culture and do it in your own home, where do you, like, where do you buy this agar that has like the nutrients infused in it? Is it like something on Amazon? Do you make it yourself? That I, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. I would have to look into it myself, but I know that, for example, there, you can go out on Etsy. It's just one example. And you can find Etsy stores that sell all the supplies that you need to get started with tissue culture, including, you know, the test tubes and the vials and the the agar solution. I know that the media that you use, the agar solution, for example, does vary depending on what you're propagating. So you might use one for a particular species of plant and another for a different species of plant. And that makes sense because, like I said, it's infused with nutrients. So there's different nutritional requirements for each, each type of plant. But but I don't know. I don't know exactly where the best place to, to buy these supplies would be. Yeah, that's interesting, though. I know it's something that like maybe our average listener wouldn't be interested in getting into, but it's just cool knowing what goes into it. It makes sense why they are done like this commercially, because it's such little plant material that they can be using to make mass quantities of plants And yeah, you don't really think about it, that that's where a lot of our plants are coming from. But I think it's really cool how they're able to do that. It is super cool. And one of the things that I've done as somebody that sells plants is I have actually bought then the little baggie or the vial that the plant, after the plant has grown into these little plantlets, 
or seedlings, I have bought that. And then I've gone through the process of deflasking it, where you take it out of this carefully controlled sterile environment and acclimate it to a home environment. There's a whole series of steps involved there. And that's kind of cool because um, you can get, you know, 10 different plants for a pretty decent price. And as a reseller, I can make a little bit of a profit on it. But even if like some of your listeners, for example, if they have some friends that would be interested in maybe affording a plant that that they otherwise might not be able to, like say a Thai constellation or something like that, they could get together with their friends and pull together their resources and buy a tissue culture pouch and then and then acclimate it to a home environment and split that among themselves. So that's that's just one idea. That's super cool. Where do you buy these tissue cultures that you can deflask yourself? I have bought them a few different places, but Etsy is a Etsy is a, another great place to to buy these. The only thing I would recommend is like my caveat with buying anything off Etsy, make sure you read the reviews of the sellers and that you're buying from somebody reputable. But there are a lot of good sellers on Etsy for tissue culture plants. And if you just search on Etsy for in vitro plants, that's the that's the easiest way to find them. Because that's what they call it when it's inside the pouch or inside the inside the, the flask. It's in vitro at that point. Okay. And just because this is mostly just me being curious, yeah. what are some of the steps to like deflasking these plants? Like, is it hard to do? No, it's not hard at all. It it does require a couple of components. Like for example, so I did it just recently with philodendron UPI. I bought a tissue culture pouch of philodendron UPIs and I opened up the, the pouch you pour them out, you have to clean all of the agar off of them, which is kind of nerve wracking because they're these tiny, fragile little plantlets. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you have to, so you have to like carefully like dunk them into water, distilled water or something like that. And from there, there's a few different steps that you can take. Uh, what I like to do is I like to let them soak in a bowl of distilled water that's had a little bit of super thrive added to it, which is just a vitamin supplement for plants. And let them sit for like five minutes and then wash them off. And then also wash them, give them a soak inside a antifungal solution. Because so that when they're coming out of the pouch, they're totally sterile. And this is the first time these plants have been exposed to any kind of bacteria or fungus or mold. Mm -hmm. And so it's really the most crucial time for in their lives really is uh, right when they come out and when they can, when they're most likely to develop mold or fungus issues. And I've actually lost a batch before too, by the way, that ended up getting mold on it and I had Darn to throw it. the whole thing away. <laughs> so that's the risk you take, but yeah, so you, you wash it off, you give it some soaks and a couple different things, and then you just plant it and you have to keep them under a humidity dome because they're used to hundred percent humidity inside that little pouch. So you need to keep them as close to 100% humidity as you can for at least a few weeks before you start slowly acclimating them to a home environment. But you take the, the humidity dome off for like 15 minutes one day, and then you put it back, and then 30 minutes the next day, and then you put it back, and then an hour, and so on and so forth, until they're fully acclimated to home humidity. That sounds kind of exciting. I I just might try this. You should. I, I might, I might get on Etsy after this interview and take a look around. Okay. So is there anything else that you wanted to share that we haven't covered about propagation? Well, we haven't talked at all about seed propagation, but that's another great method of propagating. Not as common with houseplants, obviously, 
but for a lot of plants, uh, and especially commercially, seed propagation is really a very common way to, to propagate plants, taking the seeds, planting them, germinating them, and growing plants. At home, it's a little harder to do. You have to, you have, to have plants that flower, and you have to have, depending on the species, you may need two different, plant of, two different plants of the same species that are flowering at the same time or the ability to, you know, collect pollen from one and then store it in a freezer or something like that. But, but people do do it, and that even opens up all sorts of crazy worlds of hybridization and things like that if you want to try to do hybridized plants by crossing the pollen of one particular species with another. So, yeah, there's, that's, that's a whole probably show in and of itself. But Yeah, I haven't gotten too much into seeds, but that is like a whole another topic on its own of mixing those genetics from two different plants and seeing what you can get. I know when I've tried seeds for houseplants, a lot of, a lot of Googling because some of them need to like be scarified. You have to like get a piece of what's it called? Sandpaper. Sandpaper. Thank you. Get a piece (laughs) of sandpaper and kind of rough up that seed or stick it in your fridge for a few weeks. If it needs, I think it's called stratification where it needs that colder temperature it's it can be kind of fun it's kind of like a little bit of a puzzle to get those seeds to successfully germinate and get going yeah it can be kind of kind of crazy i have i have mixed results with propagating from seeds so i haven't done a ton of it myself just because i get frustrated by it (laughs) yeah low germination rates and stuff like that it just I'd rather stick with things that I know, you know, I'm great at propagating monsteras via stem cuttings and stuff like that, but. Yeah, same. I, I think I have a few seed packets that I'm just like, I, I give up on you for now. I will come back to you later and try again. Oh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention too, just, and this is like changing gears suddenly, sorry, but just remind, I just re- remembered, I wanted to talk about some of the lingo too, that you'll, people will come across with regards to propagation, you'll hear people refer to uh, stems, like a stem cutting as a wet stick. You'll hear this sometimes, like a a wet stick is basically a a stem cutting with a node, but with generally without a leaf on it. And you'll also hear people use the term chonk to refer to the same thing. A chonk is generally thicker and woodier, but it's, it's an industry term. It just refers to a node. It's a it's a node of of the plant, and you can actually buy wet sticks or chunks or stem cuttings, whatever the whatever terminology you like. You can buy those, and you can buy them from other people that have house plants or from resellers like myself um, to try to propagate some of your own plants that way. So that's a great way to try to to try to get plants that you might not otherwise be able to afford. I've done that with. Many, many plants, many plants in my collection are ones where I have propagated them from a, from a node that I bought from somebody that cost, you know, a fraction of what a full plant would, would cost. Yeah, it's a great alternative for those of you who just aren't willing to spend the money on the full plant. There's more affordable options if you're willing to get into the puzzle of how to help this plant thrive and adapt to your environment. That's a great point. So just in conclusion, where can we find you? And I want you to shout out your business again, your website. Yeah. But yeah, where can we find more of you? Sure. So I, you can find my business at ghostleaf.xyz. I'm also on Reddit. My username is ghostleafgreenery. 
all one word. And you can also feel free to email me at ethan at ghostleaf.xyz. And I'm happy to happy to talk about plants at any time with anybody. So feel free to reach out. Well, thank you so much, Ethan, for coming on, for sharing your expertise with us. Really appreciate all that you've shared with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.